0: Hi, it's producer Alice Dewey Goldstone, and this
1: is the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Go and Dave Bossert.
2: Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, Theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming in theaters and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can email me, Aljohn, at skullrockpodcast.com.
1: And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and your other pop culturists. And welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, uh, we got an action-packed show. We've got listener questions. We've got comments from uh, listeners. I mean, wow, we got a lot of stuff to
2: cover. Oh, absolutely. I tell you, let's... uh... I mean, we ought to just dive in, should we not? And I think maybe before we dive into that, I should actually give you a congratulations, right? You won an yes, award this I, week. I
1: appreciate that. Thank you.
2: Yeah. So tell us, about the, tell us about the award that you received yeah, for your Claude Coates book. Claude,
1: the Claude Coates book won a gold award <laughs> at the Nonfiction Book Awards, which is sponsored by the Nonfiction Authors Association. All right. <laughs> so I, I, I was very happy about that. And, uh, you know, the the book is actually entered in um, I, a number of uh, book award contests uh, this year for books published in twenty. Twenty
2: one, Man, congratulations. That is awesome. I mean, the book is amazing anyway, and it is just so lovingly, just like all of your books, Dave, they're just lovingly crafted. I love everything about the books
1: and, uh, I, I it, appreciate that. Thank yeah, you.
2: You know, and you know, you put your, uh, you and, um, you put your heart into the book and it definitely comes out for sure. So please. I appreciate that.
1: that. Thank you. And, and, you know, I do want to let our listeners know that uh, Claude Coates is in a second printing and um, you know, hopefully in the next month or so, depending on the supply chain, um, (laughs) the uh, book will be available again at your favorite online retailers and independent bookstores. So uh, I will certainly announce right here when uh when the uh books are actually in the country
2: also i love it i love it so so keep keep it locked right i mean i hate to say that it sounds so dj keep it locked in but uh, uh, be sure to 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 leave it right here and uh, we'll tell you when it's gonna be uh, back in stores and uh, we have another awesome guest lined up for today who is it dave
1: we do uh, We've got uh, Animator longtime uh, Animator Rick Farmelo Is uh, Going to be on the show With us Talking about his career uh, In the animation Industry And uh, I'm looking forward To catching up with Rick uh, I've known him for decades uh, We've worked together At Disney And On other projects Throughout the years And uh, uh, He's in the green room Relaxing uh, And we will see him shortly Yeah What what
2: a what a great guy Rick So looking forward to this great discussion and looking forward to answering some finally some more of these awesome
0: Skull emails. Podcast. answers your email
1: All right. We've got a listener, yes. Yes, we we got a uh, email from our friend, Tony Anselmo, the voice of Donald Duck. Yes. uh, And he was listening to the Destino show and he's, uh, he's, you know, he, he wrote and said, hey, you know, I watched Destino the other day because he listened to our show. And I can't remember why the animation wasn't all in Mm between. I'm sure it was a creative choice. Inquiring minds want to know. Well, Tony, (laughs) I have to tell you that the reason why some of the animation is like dissolving from keyframe to keyframe uh is uh twofold uh one uh dolly when he was working on the film at the disney studios in 1946 actually was doing experiments uh with the camera department on cross dissolves uh and coming up with some cross dissolve techniques to mm-hmm. use in destino mm-hmm. uh so that was one reason and uh Again, that was John Hench who consulted on us uh, on the film uh, for us to complete the film in 2002. Um, So, you know, he talked about that and it was documented. So that was one reason. And the other reason also was uh, budgetary constraints. And it just happened that uh, these two things uh, crossed paths uh, and worked out perfectly. So using that cross-dissolving technique was something that uh, Dolly was experimenting with back in 1946. So there's your answer. Very cool. Uh, I hope that satisfies the inquiring minds. There you go. Yes.
2: Once again, great episode. You need to go back and check that out for sure. And also pick up the book. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the book is out there. It tells the whole story. Um, we also got a, a, a wonderful email. Uh, it says, loved your interview with Pomeroy. What a great guy and talent. Most of all, I love the, uh, the head of each Skull Rock episode when you guys – Just talk about Hollywood and movies. (laughs) It's really good. You could just do a Hollywood gossip show and it'd be fantastic. Well, that's from our friend Don here in Los Angeles. And thank you very much, Don. Uh, we appreciate it. And if you're wondering who Don is, it's Don Hahn, the legendary producer of Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, the director of Howard, the mm-hmm. documentary. Yes, and, yes. I mean, just so much more that he's uh, produced, directed, and uh, is an artist in his own right. And as I've always said, a modern day renaissance man. Absolutely. And also- Musician, as well, and I, yeah.
2: I also have to say that uh, his new documentary on PBS, I believe, is already out. So, if you yes. want to seek that out, um, please do. Love you, Don. Awesome. Hey, uh, thank also, you. Yes, yes, thank you, Don. Yes, also had got a little feedback here from the old Facebook, and uh, we have here uh, Matt Mason writes, Thank you for uh, each episode, it was a great dive into Destino. Uh, it was such a cool project. A lot of great stories. I appreciated hearing. Have a great week. Well, thank you, Matt. We appreciate it. Hey, by the that. way, do
1: you know who Matt is?
2: Uh, one of our upcoming guests.
1: That's right. He's <laughs> going to be on our show because Matt Mason is uh, the uh, Poet Laureate of Nebraska, the state of Nebraska. Yes. Uh, and uh, so we we have him coming up in April for National Poetry Month.
2: I love it. I love it. I can't wait to have him on. And by the way, there's one more bit of email and I forgot to put this in here, but it's a question for you, Dave. Uh, this is from our friend Dane. And he says, first of all, your podcast is incredible. You two are fantastic hosts and you do so well to invite talented guests each and every week. You are the podcast I never knew I needed. In fact, he's a designer or Dane is a designer and was looking at uh, wanting to uh, move from the UK and Wales all the way to California Um, it's a far-fetched idea to maybe work for Disney being is the age of 30, but I was wondering if you have any
1: advice for Dane. Wow. Uh, I mean, that is uh, that is a major move. Uh, and I I speak from experience because I moved from Los Angeles to Dublin, Ireland, and then I moved to London, England, and then I moved back to Los Angeles. So I know that it's a major uh, life change when you uh, not only move, but move to another country. Uh, so I would just say uh, you may want to come visit. Uh, Los Angeles for about a month to dip your toe in the pond and make the rounds of the studios and see if you can get some interviews Uh, there is plenty of animation work going on uh, here in Los Angeles Uh, Disney certainly is doing uh, features and television but you also have Netflix you have um, uh, Warner Brothers you have DreamWorks uh, Sony uh, and plus there's a Kind of smaller studios, so, uh, and I don't know if if the the um, uh, person asking this question uh, is a two D artist or a CG artist, so that that's going to have a bearing, but. You know, before you make a move like that, I would certainly uh, come and visit and see, A, if you're going to like the place, and B, uh, if you're going to get a job, uh, because you probably want to have a job before you move here.
2: Yeah, it says in the email later that... um they are set on becoming a story artist and my experience as a di- designer um complements this role. You know, uh, Dane, one thing you could do is many of our guests have different courses and different things you may want to look into. Um they also do evaluations of portfolios. So you may want to look up some of our guests um that uh, will do that and I know that a lot of uh, art conventions and um, comic and anime conventions that are in the UK happen, and oftentimes artists will will gladly um, look at your portfolio and give you some tips and and tricks and maybe that you can kind of you know boost your boost your work. Um, but I definitely suggest getting your artwork evaluated by by someone in the industry to give you those pointers before you you make the dip. Um, out there,
1: you know, and and Al John, that's a good point. And a couple of our past guests uh, actually are doing those things. Uh, John Pomeroy has the John Pomeroy Academy, mm-hmm. so you, you know you can reach out to John uh, through his academy. Uh, and also, Aaron Blaze right. uh, is doing an online academy. Uh, both uh, incredible talents, and will give you an honest assessment and uh, give you further guidance.
2: Yeah. At the end of every show, we put in our podcast, uh, in our show notes, links to all of our guests. So I, I encourage you to just reach out to, you know, some of our guests because it's a huge deal, you know, to pick up and move. But I think Dave is, is on point, and so many of our guests have those evaluation services at your disposal. So please do it. Absolutely. Well, I love it, Dave. It's great. And now. We go from email to our picks of the week. As always, we, we like to talk about what we're streaming and what we're looking at. Dave, what did you do this week?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Um, I went and saw Death on the Nile, which is uh, starring Kenneth Brandauer, uh and he also directed it I saw that in the theater uh, and you know it was an enjoyable film beautifully shot beautifully crafted um, you know from a suspense standpoint you know I think it could have been a little bit more suspenseful uh, I kind of figured out from the beginning uh, who the uh, perpetrators were uh, but uh, it was still enjoyable I, I, I actually liked it uh, and it's uh, got a great cast Um, I also have uh, been watching, and I'm almost through with it, uh, a series, a limited series on Netflix called Inventing Anna, and Mm. I have to tell you, Uh, The star of the show is Julia Garner, uh, who you may remember from the Ozark show. Uh, She plays Ruth on Ozark, a fabulous character. Yes. Well, uh, in Inventing Anna, Julia Garner plays Anna Delvey or Anna... Sorokin, uh, a fake heiress uh, yes. who is swindling the upper echelons <laughs> of New York society out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh-huh. It's from Chandra Rhymes. Yes, uh, from Grey's a- Anatomy. Yeah, she did Grey's Anatomy. She's done a ton of stuff, yeah. uh, and it's based on a true story. It's based on uh, uh, a um, article that was in one of the New York magazines, and uh, she um, uh, she did a terrific job spinning this uh, limited series together. And I have to tell you, it's absolutely riveting to watch this, and it, it's it, it's fraud on. On a crazy level.
2: I mean, what's up with all these shysters that are, that we're looking at these days? They crazy, you know. I look at I looked at this um, this promo for the Netflix show, and I said, "Anna Chlumsky, uh, you mean my girl, Anna?" And it's like, "Oh, it's the same girl from my girl from like mm-hmm. thirty years ago." Amazing! So uh, that's definitely something to check out. I'm looking forward to that. For sure.
1: Yeah. So, and, and then by the way, mm-hmm. um, there's been a number of trailers dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I have to tell you, I'm going to see Batman uh, in IMAX. Yep, that looks good. So I'll talk about that next week. Uh, but you and I both saw the trailer for Bullet Train. With Brad Pitt, <laughs> I love it. I mean, if if you haven't seen this trailer, folks, go online, go to YouTube, look up the trailer for Bullet Train with uh, Brad Pitt. It's absolutely fantastic. It looks like it's going to be a uh, a rockin' movie.
2: You know, there was a trend um, in being very authentic with these types of fight scenes. You saw it in Netflix's Daredevil, which is coming to Disney Plus, um, yeah. in these, you know, nice extended scenes and, you know, hallways and things like that where they get in tight. They don't necessarily cut and and they do this. And they did it again in shang and they're doing it again in this bullet train. It's really compact, but there looks like a lot of pops of color, very... Um, John I say John Wick esque in terms of its action, but Brad Pitt's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, it looks really He's good.
1: such a likable guy on screen, you yeah. know, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And it's also one of those movies that I have to see in a movie theater. Of course. I mean, I, I definitely I, I feel you on that.
2: Um, we also had new trailers for Morbius, uh, which is great, which is a new Marvel Sony movie coming out with Jared Leto as a the titular character. So uh, looking forward to seeing that. And I think, uh, yeah, we have a lot of great movies on the horizon.
1: You know, I was going to say, I've seen the Morbius trailer several times in the theaters, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's really, it, it's just amazing looking. And I have to say, I I still don't know enough about this character to to sort of pass judgment on whether he's a hero or a villain.
2: Mm, anti-hero, you know, perhaps. Or, or,
1: or somewhere in between. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think that's going to be the the, the great uh, hook to get people in. Who is Morbius. Uh, what's he about? It's mysterious. So, uh, and I know the comic book uh, character very well because you know I am a comic book Marvel guy. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. I look forward to hearing what your take on it when it comes out soon. A awesome. couple of movies I finally saw was uh, Free Guy. Finally, uh, I saw it. Did uh, you I, like it? I, you know what? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. First of all, Ryan Reynolds can't go wrong with that. I uh, really enjoyed it. Jo- Jody Cormer was also very good. Taika Waititi, uh, a great a great talent and a guy you just love to hate. Um, what an ass Taika Waititi yes. but um, well, yeah. it's great to see them together again in that kind of meta universe uh, you know that they build um, and one of my favorite actors is this little Ray Howery as Buddy um, he plays the best friend of Ryan Reynolds guy character he's a security guard I love him and yeah. I like uh, I really enjoy uh, seeing him on film he's a great actor he was in Get Out which I totally love and, um, so yeah, definitely check out him. And he was also in that movie, um, with, um, John Cena, uh, that I love a lot as well. I think it was like the, um, um, I'm trying to remember which one it was the, uh. The one where at the wedding, kind of like a wedding crasher kind of kind of film. I'm trying to remember, and I saw him, hmm. and he was a Vacation Friends, Vacation Friends.
1: Yeah, okay, so
2: okay. Uh, that's also streaming on Hulu, and uh, he is a hilarious comedic actor.
1: Now, Free Free Guy is a fabulous film. It's uh, fun, really well done, uh, really funny. And again, Ryan Reynolds, such a likable guy. Uh, he's always welcome uh, on the Skull Rock podcast. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I'll, Just, I'll, I'll have, try to bring
2: him in. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Ryan, ha- have your people call our people. It's I'll rock, and we'll uh, we'll get you set up.
2: Yeah, set up some of that uh, aviation vodka while you are at it. I'll take a case. Thanks. Um, another great movie that's trending is the new series "Worst Roommate Ever" on uh, on Netflix. And, now, who's in this? Okay, so these are reality based um, uh, shows, and so this one talks about uh, you know who you who you let into your life and how they can totally screw you up. You know, like single white female kind of stuff yeah, but yeah. it's real. It's actually real stuff that happens to people. Uh, the boilerplate says four harrowing tales of seemingly harmless roommates turning into real life nightmares for unsuspecting victims when their malevolent and sometimes violent intentions are revealed. <laughs> and can you say, yeah, worst roommate ever is the greatest understatement ever for some of these people? And um, as as they as the story unfolds, they get into it really deep and in a bad way. And I felt so bad. Uh, for these people but it is a documentary crime you know there's a little thriller involved in there and I like the styles of the reenactments because they use these kind of cel-shaded animation to kind of you know put you into the mindset of these really horrible people Um, so yeah
1: sounds like a nightmare
2: it is 100% nightmare absolutely
0: (laughs) Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news.
2: Dave Disney Plus is adding a cheaper ad-supported tier. Did we call it on this show? A while ago,
1: I, I, I think we might have because I think some of the other services are doing the same thing. And you know what? It, it, it's all about giving the consumer choices. Mm-hmm. You know, and with all of the uh, streaming services available, you could quickly, you know, eclipse you know more than a hundred dollars a month in in fees. So if you want to try and still have all those services but reduce reduce it so it's a kinder to your monthly budget, uh, I think having the ad-supported choice uh, is a good way of doing it.
2: Absolutely. I prefer to pay whatever it costs to not have
1: ads. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on that, but you know what? There's folks out there that might not be able to do it, and I think it's great that these services are giving that choice to the consumer. Yeah,
2: 100%. It says expanding access to Disney Plus to a broader uh, audience at lower price point is a win for everyone, including our ad Advertisers and consumers, says Kareem Daniel, chairman of Disney Media. So we look forward to seeing that. It looks like it's going to be implemented here um probably this next quarter. It's gonna be at supported yeah. tier for six ninety-nine a month. So uh, what a boggin, as people
1: say. You know what? It it just opens up their audience further and it makes it makes for more inclusion. Absolutely. You know, I'm
2: looking forward to seeing the new disney movie turning red i'm i'm so looking forward to this love this kind of peanuts almost style animation brought to you in 3d which i love but it looks like disney is going to be the first giant to pause theatrical releases in russia with the company saying it will make future business decisions based on the evolving situation in the ukraine which Rus- russia invaded this past week uh, what a Big story, of course, it affects so many people globally. Our hearts go out to all the people affected by, by what's going on with Russia overtaking the Ukraine. Dave,
1: no, it's uh, I mean, it's a very sad situation over there, and I I, I have to say, you know, since since I saw this uh, article on Disney pausing theatrical releases in Russia, uh, many of the other studios have followed suit and uh, are not going to release their films in Russia. Uh, Green Day canceled the concert in Moscow uh, I think there is this tremendous backlash that's happening uh, across not only the political landscape but also entertainment uh, you know which is movies and and music uh, and uh, so so many other uh, avenues uh, of commerce uh, that are just shutting down uh, dealing with Russia so uh, I think this I think the entire world uh is behind the ukraine absolutely Uh, you know they're ukrainians and uh this is uh you know this is going to play out over the coming weeks and months and uh it's it's just terrible by the way Um, I just saw a news report um, that uh, Sean Penn and a couple of colleagues were over there uh, shooting some documentary material uh, for a film he's working on. Uh, And he was in the country just prior to the invasion by the Russians. Mm -hmm. And he had to actually abandon the car. And he and his colleagues walked several miles to the Polish border to get out oh my
2: well i mean this is real i mean people sleeping in bus stations trying to get out of the country fleeing to poland you know there's a bunch of people out there so you know our hearts are with you um please stay safe but uh, once again you know they're not the only ones warner just pulled the plug on batman being released out there too so yeah there you go well speaking Uh, of ukrainian uh ukrainian president uh vladimir Zelensky did the voice of paddington over there at studio canal did you know about this
1: dave you, you know something I did not Until I saw this news report And I, I burst out laughing I have to tell you Because I immediately pictured uh, The president of the Ukraine With a uh, You know a, a hat on You know A, r- a red rain hat <laughs> right. and, a, and a slicker on You know A red, a red, a red slicker little, little And a slick, yellow yeah. rain hat You know uh-huh. uh, So But You uh, know But you know Vladimir Zelensky uh, Was a stand-up comic He yes. was also The star of a very popular Ukrainian television show. uh, And, uh, you know, he did voice work. So uh, Studio Canal uh, has verified to The Hollywood Reporter that uh, President Zelensky did the voice of Paddington Bear. So there there you go.
2: There you go. Man of many talents, right?
1: All right. I just hope nothing happens to
2: him. All right. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. With HBO Max, Our Flag Means Death, is out dave and uh this one is taikawa Titi um as the pirate captain we've got uh race darby and steve bonnet um being there in is front of the Fred
1: Armitage yeah yeah oh, I, yeah he's he's in it i mean th- this is from the you know like literally the um collaboration for uh flight of the concord yes. and uh, what they do in the shadows. Uh, it's, it, it looks hilarious mm-hmm. and uh, it is on my list of uh, shows to binge watch.
2: Yeah. Fred Armisen is hilarious. You know, so there's a lot yeah. of great comedic um, people in this. Yeah. So please check it out. Um, it looks like the reviews have been very positive. So
1: they really have been. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Awesome. All right, so we have some sad news here. Um, I am a Star Wars fan, and I've seen so many documentaries on behind the scenes, but the Star Wars saga may not have ever happened if it wasn't for the help of Alan Ladd Jr., who was the Oscar winner for Braveheart. Uh, He was the one that uh, was able to help George Lucas get distribution over there at Fox for Star Wars, which we know now as Star Wars A New Hope. He passed away at the age of 84, Ava, yeah. what do you, I mean, have you ever met uh, Alan Ladd in your time no, in Hollywood? No, I, I
1: never met him. You know, he's the son of Alan Ladd, the actor, who is a very popular uh, actor, did a lot of westerns mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s, uh, early 60s. So, um, yeah, I, I never met him, but I have to say. Uh, he did not follow in his father's footsteps as far as acting goes. He went into the uh, producing a- end of the business uh, and was an executive over at Fox when he uh, brought Star Wars in. Am I am I correct on that?
2: Absolutely, he certainly yeah. did. You know, was able to to get that distribution deal for George Lucas, which was a huge coup because Lucas produced um, Star Wars by himself as an independent filmmaker. A lot of people forget about that. And the other thing, too, that he was totally integral in, and uh, we saw this in the Movies That Made Us series on Netflix, but also very integral in in helping push Sigourney Weaver, a then um, up-and-coming actress, to be the lead in Ridley Scott's Alien
1: Yes, Which was amazing. Yes.
2: He's also green lighted Thelma in Louise as well. Yeah. I mean, what a great he, he, great career. He had a great
1: he had a great eye for uh for good films. Oh, certainly,
2: certainly did, especially
1: Blade Runner and of course
2: Turning Point. I mean, I mean his career is just amazing. So uh once again, um our hearts go out to the family. Alan Ladd Jr. passes away at the age of eighty-four.
1: And he leaves behind an incredible uh, uh, catalog of films. Absolutely, please look at yeah. Skull Rock Podcast interview time. Well, John, as I've promised, and I promise every week, we've got another fantastic guest. I don't know how we do it. We just keep getting them. And uh, this week, we've got animator Rick Farmelo, who has an incredible career going back to Fox and the Hound, all the way to Box Trolls, The Simpsons, you name it. He's a longtime Disney animator, and he's a longtime animator in the industry here in Los Angeles. And I want to welcome my friend, Rick Farmelo welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast.
0: Thank you, Dave. It's great to be here with both and, of you.
1: And again, our studio audience goes wild, as of they course. always do uh, when yeah. I introduce a guest. Uh, but it's really terrific to have you uh, on the show, Rick. And uh, one of the things I always like to ask uh, our guests when they, when they first come on the show is... How did you get into animation? Where did you start? Uh,
0: How did you get that bug? And where did you go to school? Well, um, how I I got the bug was, gosh, I mean, I was really little. I mean, I was probably, I don't know, six, six, seven, I don't know, six, seven years old. And I saw Pinocchio at the movie theater. You know, I used to watch cartoons on TV. Like I grew up with, you know, I'm beating Cecil and, and that kind of stuff and Flintstones and all that. I'm old enough to remember when those things were in prime time. But um, now did you, was, see Pinoc- did you see Pinocchio in the theaters when it was first released? No, not that old. What do you think? That was 1939. <laughs> Thank you. Jay. I'm just giving Thanks. you a hard time. <laughs> no, um, I saw it. I don't know what re-release it was, but it was probably the early 60s, maybe 61. I don't I Something like that. But I was like five or six. And I went and saw it and I didn't really under, it was just, it just blew me away. And I had never seen anything like that before. And I just, I didn't know what it was, but I just want, kind of wanted to do that. You know, I didn't know what it was called or anything. And I remember going home and re- making my own Pinocchio book. Like I just made up, you know, from what I remembered from the story, so like your own flip book. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Not my own flip book, but like a little storybook. Oh, it, a storybook. Okay. Gotcha. I highlighted all the stuff that happened in the movie and so that's kind of what I did. And then I just, all of a sudden, I just became, I was just fascinated with that. And so I didn't, you know, when you're little, you don't think about what you want to do for a career. You just know what you like. So that's, that's really what started it. And then I saw uh, Sword and Stone when it was first released in, in, I think, 63. And then just from that point on, I, that's what I wanted to do. And everything kind of geared towards that, drawing cartoons and, and animating and all that. Right. Right. So as far as what school I went to, when I, I'm assuming you mean like art school, I was,
1: well, yeah, but let me ask you this though, you know, as you, as you grew up, you got into high school where you taking art classes in high school. Right. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, you, you were probably in high school when they actually still had art classes, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. I, and it was kind of funny because the art classes I took were like fine art. It was like the fact that I drew cartoons, my art teacher didn't think that was art. They were like, that's not art. He literally said, that is not art. Wow. You know, you're this. it's cartoons, it's a, it's a different thing. And I just felt sort of lonely, like am I the only person doing this? And I remember growing up, that's when I was very shy as a kid and that's how I got attention was drawing. Like draw, I was to draw cartoons. And all of a sudden these kids would come and surround me and look at look at this. Oh God, that's so great. I wouldn't have to say anything, I would just be drawing. Of course, I got in trouble for drawing on my math papers and stuff. I do the test really fast and then just draw monsters and stuff all around it. And I'd turn my test in, the teacher would cross out all the with the red X's on all the, you know, stop doing this underlying, you know. So I'd get in trouble for goofing around and doing that. But um, but anyway, so like I said, everything's sort of geared towards that. And yeah, in high school, I took art classes and, you know, I did the best I could. And then when I went to art school, then it was all different. Then all of a sudden what I did was good. It was like, I I had teachers that that loved animation, loved comics and that kind of stuff. So then I felt like I kind of, where did you go to art school? I went to art school um, up in Oakland. I was, I was raised in Santa, born and raised in Santa Rosa. And in Oakland, California, there's an art school. At the time, it was called California College of Arts and Crafts. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, I've uh-huh. heard of it. And, yeah. and I took an animation class and a film class and drawing classes and just a whole bunch of. It was all just art, so I loved all my classes. And my animation teacher, his name is Dennis Pease, and he he was a CalArts alumni, and and he did more uh, graphic, sort of like the Jules Engel school of of animation, kind of more abstract, yeah, yeah I was I doing say- characters.
1: I I was just going to tell our audience, like up at CalArts, there's two distinct animation programs. There's the character animation program, which really is sort of the Disney style of animation. And then there's what's known as the experimental animation uh, uh, program, uh, which allows people to do stop motion, claymation, uh, cut paper, you know, all different types of techniques, hence the experimental animation. And that was started and headed by Jules Engel, who was an old time Disney artist and uh, went on to, I think, found he was one of the founders of UPA, wasn't he? Mm hmm. I think he was involved yeah. with UPA and yeah. all that. Yeah. So, uh, so it's two distinct programs. So I, I just wanted to, to let our audience know about that.
0: Right. And you know, when I was, when I was going back a little bit, when I was younger, I was like in junior high or high school, I think probably junior high and I was cartoons and everything. And, and Charles Schultz lived in Santa Rosa Charles Schultz who did peanuts. and he was my hero, you know, and I just, I love the peanut specials and all that. And my parents You know, they were encouraging, but they were also realistic. And they said, look, this is it's going to be really tough for you to break into this business. You know, it's hard to make a living being an artist, even though my mom was a really great painter. And they're both like, you need to you need to come up with something that's like an alternate. Like if this doesn't—if the cartooning animation doesn't work out, what else do you want to do? And I just thought about it and thought about it and just came back to him and said, you know, if I can't do this, I don't want to do anything else. This is all I want to do. And they said, well, it's going to be tough to do this. And I said, well, that guy that lives up on the hill, he's doing it. You know, Charles, Charles also lives up in the hills. He's doing it. So that was my inspiration. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to be as good as he is, but it, you can do it as for a living. So and then through him and uh, Bill Melendez, I was my, my I, was, I think I was in maybe a sophomore in high school. And Ch- Charles Schultz said, you need to go talk to Bill Melendez. So how did you, how did you meet Charles Schultz? It was, it was funny. I never actually met him at that time. I did meet him later when we became friends, but that was when I was at Disney. But when I was in, I was so shy and I just, I took my portfolio to him and his, his secretary took it. So, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to Sparky, have him look at it. So she gave it to him. Then they, you know, I came to the, the studio and he she gave it back. And she, she says, well, Sparky says you should work on this and this and this. And you really need to talk to Bill Melendez because, you know, Sparky does the comic strips. But you want to be an animator. So we're, they gave me Bill Melendez's address. So I wrote Bill Melendez and said, hey, I want to be an animator. And how do I do it? And I said, we're going to be looking my parents and I are going to be looking at colleges. Um, Pretty soon, we're going to come down there, and he goes, "Why don't you come to my studio and all we can talk?" And you know, so we did. We went to his uh, his Bill Melinda studio, and uh, it was a on large one at the time. And he spent about two hours with us, just wow. telling us all wow. about animation and different schools and what the business is like. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is the mo- this is the coolest thing ever!" And it made me want to do it even more. And then, you know, as like, when I got out of high school, I went to Oakland, <laughs> and then. Again, my teacher said, you need to go back to L.A. You need to move to L.A. and go to Cal Arts because that's the kind of stuff you want to do. So that kind of set me on my path.
1: So so let me ask you this. What was your first job when you came down to L.A.? Like you because you you left school, you packed up your car, I'm, I'm imagining, yeah. and you drove down to L.A. Yep. And you got to L.A. and it's like, did you You know, you obviously knew Bill Melendez. So where did you start?
0: Well, what happened was I ended I. I ended up, I shouldn't say ended up, I went went to a science fiction convention in San Francisco and I met Bob Clampett and I I said, gee, I really want to meet Bob Clampett and have him tell me how how I do this, you know, so I told him. I met Bob Clampett and everybody else had left the convention. It was just me and Bob Clampett and his wife, Sodi. I said, look, I really want to be an animator and I'm going to be moving to LA. Can I come and see you and bring my portfolio to you to see what you think? He says, of course. Yeah, here's my phone number. When you get down to LA, give me a call. And the, the, the job I had was working in a record store. Uh, but people in Southern California might remember Music Plus, but that was my first just regular job. I had to have some kind of job. Like when you came it. to LA, you got a job at Music Plus. Music Plus, yeah. Okay. And which I loved. It was fun. But well, you anyway. you're
1: you know, Rick, you are the rock and roller of the well, animation business. So I'm imagining you probably fit right into uh music I Plus. I you know did. That? I was great. I was, <laughs> I, I was the guy
0: who ordered all the imports. I knew all the bands were all the English fans and, you know, I, I loved it, you know, but I knew that's not what really, but I, and I, and I made t-shirts. I designed t-shirts for cheap trick and the blues brothers and all these bands are out and we sold them in the stores and, you know, it was fun. It was, it was really fun, but, obviously that wasn't why I moved here. So I took my portfolio to Bob Clampett and he really, he thought it was great because this is great. This is, this film you did in school. This cartoon you did is really great. I'm going to introduce you to a bunch of people. And so he had a party, like a Christmas party. He invited me to the Christmas party and there's people like Grim Natwick and Hugh Harmon and Rudy Ising and all these oh, legends. My gosh. And, wow. it was, and that just opened up everything for me. Um, and that's, how I, my first step into getting into animation. And then there was, there's, they were hiring people at Filmation. Uh, They were doing an, having an animation class and they were going to hire the best people out of the class. And Bob wrote me and said, Hey, you need to call this number and they're going to, they have this animation class and take the class and see what happens. So I did. I took this animation classes taught, taught by Milt Gray. And there were all these, there were Tom and Jerry cartoons. And so I was doing, taking, doing these lessons and, after five or six weeks of this they hired me so i started working at filmation in like 1979 and and
1: what um what uh shows were what what show did you work on remember i I I, was
0: i was specifically hired for a show called quackula oh yeah which was was part of the tom and jerry and droopy Uh uh, block of cartoons and it was just this vampire duck and it was all the people they hired out of the class worked on Quackula and I mean, it was really fun. It was very cartoony and he looked a lot like Daffy Duck and he had fangs and looking back now, they're pretty bad. But, but for me, it was an introduction (laughs) to animating, you know, it was learning. And there were people there who had worked on Popeye back in the thirties. And there was all these veterans who I would, you know, just talk to and ask about animation and, show my work to them and just try to learn, you know, and I was,
1: Who were some of those animators?
0: Um I'm trying to remember. Uh, Kay Wright was one. He was kind of our mentor. He'd worked at Disney. He was an effects animator at Disney, he worked okay. on Fantasia and a bunch of other stuff. Jack Ozark was another dude. He was really cool. He was, uh, he, was cool one, he was one of the old cool pop- name, know, huh? black and white Popeye guys. You know, he worked, he yeah. was a really cool dude. He worked with his desk Hi, He stood up when he worked and I'm like, man, I want to, that looks cool. I just want to do. So I started having my desk high. And so everywhere I went as a professional when I got, you know, Disney and I always had my desk high because I like to stand up when I work. So that's where I got that from him. But it was just a really, really great education. And I was supposed to go to Cal Arts. I mean, I had applied and they said, well, you just missed the deadline, but you can, we can get you in for the next semester, which is going to be the fall. Well, but then I started working and I thought, well, I don't think I should quit my job animating to go to school to learn sure. how to animate. Right. So I decided not to go to CalArts that semester. I just kept working. And then after about a year and a half, of course, I really wanted to be at Disney. And so I just worked really, really hard on my portfolio and going to the zoo and doing drawings and going to the park. I mean, every single day when yeah. I was, it was like a little layoff period. Every single day. When either went to the zoo or the park. Yeah, drew. I was
1: gonna I, I was gonna say, you know, in television animation back in those days, there was always like a couple of month layoff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was it was sort of like you'd finish the shows for the season, you you know you were gonna have a couple months off before you came back and started working on the next season right yeah, you know exactly. uh, and, and so during that that, that break you had uh, you were able to uh, uh, really strengthen your portfolio and uh, and get it in shape for
0: Disney. Yeah. And did you ever regret not going to Cal arts? You know what? Over the years I have, um, because I think, first of all, I, I mean, it turned out that all the people that I would have been in Cal Cal arts with, I was friends with anywhere, anywhere. Right. Right. I think I would have been in Chris Buck's class. That's Uh about the year. I did the math and that was the year that I would have, he would have been one of my classmates. Yeah. I, I regret because I I think you get a really well-rounded education there. I, As an animator, I think I learned a lot just doing it and learning from people I worked with. Yeah. But I think getting an overall education as far as storyboarding, backgrounds, color, all that, I missed out. on. I had to learn that on my own. So I think I did miss out on that aspect of it and that sort of closeness to some of those people, even though we ended up being friends. And there's funny because... When I started at Disney and I was there for a while, people were asking me, what, what year were you? Were you in my class at Cal Arts?" Because I can't. <laughs> they thought I went to school with them. And sure. I said, no, man, I never sure. went to CalArts. I just I got here the hard way. You know, I, I just submitted my portfolio and got here the hard way. You
1: know what though? I, I often say to people, you know, I, cause I was at Cal arts for three years. Uh, and then what went right into the industry, but I, I felt like I learned, I learned so much in the first six months of being at a studio Uh uh, than I ever learned when I was at Cal arts, but I don't you know, I don't have any regrets about going to CalArts because of what you just said. There was yeah. this very well-rounded yeah. education. And you got exposed to a lot of different uh, yeah. disciplines. Yep. And I think that was the real plus of it, you know? Yeah
0: and learning from those you know uh learning from some of the disney veterans were there yeah wow. yeah well you would, if you had
1: been to cal arts uh, jack hanna would have been the head of the program right. elmer plummer was there elmer and, plummer and yeah. t he and uh, uh uh anderson ken anderson yep. uh um uh, who else was up? Who's the English but, guy? Uh, 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 well, uh, it would have been I think Ken Anderson, who
0: was Australian. No, it, was was a di- it was a it was a different. He was a t- sort of a tall. Guy. He was a really cool, classy. I wish I remember his name. I think he was a layout artist. Oh, uh
1: gosh, it's gonna come to me. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Anyway. Bill Moore was doing design. So mm-hmm. you know and, and they and they were regularly having like uh you know, uh, Ward Kimball and Frank and Ollie and yeah. Davis. They, they the the all those guys were making, you know, trips up to CalArts to do lectures and things mm-hmm. like that. So Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that, and that was a cool, that was the cool thing. You know, I mean, it was yeah. cool to, to get to know somebody like Elmer Plummer or Jack Hanna, you know, So yep. oh, t- yeah. t- He, t- he yeah. was there too. T- yeah, he that's amazing. Yeah. Caricatures, you know, so yep. a lot, I mean, legendary guys, you know? Yep. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. And, and so what happened was I just, you know, I just was determined and I, people, a friend, I had friends, uh, friends like Larry White and uh, Sue Mantle and these people who I'd worked with at, at Filmation, but then Sue went to Disney. Larry White was going to go to Disney. He introduced me to all the Cal Arts guys: Daryl Van Sitter, yeah, yeah. Buck and John Lasseter, and Tim Burton, and all these guys were all. I became their friends, you know, yeah. and and you know, I Larry helped me a lot of it. Look, he looked at, he'd look at my drawings, like, portfolio, you need to strengthen this and this and this." So I, like I said, I just filled sketchbooks full of drawings, you know, uh, life drawings. Uh, you know, longer studies, uh quick sketches, animal drawings, all kinds of stuff and just submitted it, you know, during the yeah. break and just hoping. And I was told, look, you're not going to get in the first time because it just isn't how things work. It took Randy Carr right three or four times to get in wherever it was. So I wasn't expecting anything other than just a first look at my stuff. And then they would tell me where I needed to improve and then I would improve or take it back and try to get better. So I submitted it. It was close to Christmas time. And, um, you know, I, I all, and I got a phone call, and it was Ed Hanson, and I just figured Ed was going to say, "We we looked at your stuff. You can pick your portfolio up at the front gate on you know whenever." At the guard and, you know, shack, so we have some notes <laughs> for you. You know, I said, like, "Yeah." I said, "Oh, hey, Ed, uh, Mr. Hanson's really thank you for calling," and he said, "So yeah, the review board looked at your portfolio," and I said, "Oh, okay, thank you," and he said, "So um, well, we'd like to hire you for." The Black Cauldron and I was just I think I was speechless. I'm like, you want to hire you want to hire me? And he said, yeah, we 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 we, we like we like your stuff a lot. We'd like to bring you in for the Black Cauldron. And I was like, he goes, when can you start? And I said, I'll, I'll be there in half an hour, you know. And he says, well, why don't you start on January second, you know? And and so I said, great. So I did, and it was I was really surprised, but I. So I started in January
1: of. Uh, so so I see. I, I, I was looking over your screen credits and it says Fox and the Hound. Did
0: you? I, do I, you know what? I don't. I I don't know why that's on there. I'm not ashamed of the Fox and the
1: Hound. Did you have a screen it, credit I, on
3: it?
0: I didn't
1: work on it. You didn't. So you didn't work on it. Okay. So you started on Black Cauldron because that was my first picture at Disney too.
3: Yeah. And Cauldron and
1: Mickey's
0: Christmas Carol. I did uh, Cauldron during the day. I was Mike Gabriel's assistant. It's a rough, rough assistant. I didn't do cleanup back in those days. You know, they had rough assistants, assistants back then. So I was Mike Gabriel's assistant, but at nighttime I would freelance on uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, uh, doing cleanup on, uh, you know, those characters so sure. I worked on both
1: those films. Wow. Yeah. God, that that's fantastic. What do you, what do you remember most about the Black Cauldron when you first came in?
0: Honestly? <laughs> i will be That's what here. we're all about here, Rick. Okay, dude. It's Skull
1: yeah. Rock right. podcast. This gonna be, this you got to be, be honest. Be, tell us tell I, us the I'm honest. I'm going to be honest. honest
0: There's no you know, no put down of anybody who worked on it or whatever, but I was like, whoa, I said, and the first time I saw it, the very first screening, and the, there was the old Fair Folk sequence, and things were just like, I was like, what is going on? And I was like, man, I remember thinking, oh, man, of all the times to be at Disney. Yeah, in the history of the studio, I'm here for this film. I just thought it had a lot of problems. I mean, there was some great stuff in it, there's some great animation, but I just thought it was a mess. And I'm like, I don't, this is a, this film doesn't make yeah. any sense. And there's from a story standpoint, from a story standpoint, it, was, story standpoint, yeah, it just yeah. was all over the place. Yeah. I'm like, this just doesn't work. And so, so let, would,
1: let, let me ask you this though you, you said the Fair Folk sequence, when did you, you started in January of 82, 82. or 83? 82. 82. 82. Okay, so you were there. Of, of, of uh, really a little over a year before I got there, right? Oh, okay. Be, because when I got there in May of '83, um, when I when they took me down to show me the office I was going to be in, there was this mountain of animation stacked against the wall, uh-huh. and I was like thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, is this stuff I got to work on? Like, there's so <laughs> much of it." And I said, "Gee, what's this?" And they said, "Oh, that's the Fair Folk sequence. It's been cut." Uh-huh. And yeah, was Whoa. good. Yeah, they, they did, they did, yeah, they did
0: cut it. It was like, I can't even tell you, unless you, unless you were to see, you can't even imagine, yeah. but, um, you know, it got better. It, you know, I think it was, uh, it got better. Uh, it was not, it's not the kind of movie I particularly like. It wasn't really my style of, you know, subject or filmmaking, but you know what? I learned a lot. I worked with my Gabriel and Hendel Butoy was an animator on, and those guys were just fantastic. And, and I learned a lot about animation from them. I didn't, I was doing personal tests and back in those days, yeah. if you want to get promoted, you had to do personal tests on your sure. own, own time. So I had done one test, uh, of, of Taryn and something about, him, he had the pig, uh, whatever the pig's name. Henwin. Yeah. Henwin. And he was yeah. with the pig and it turned it in. I got a pretty good response, but they wanted to see more. Um, but I learned so much from Mike Gabriel. He was an incredible animator and an incredible draftsman and W toy. Same thing. And there was, the, I learned a lot from those guys. When I did my second test, that was the one, that was the one that got me, mm. you, you know, as it turned out promoted, but I didn't, I didn't, I was doing a Basel test. Actually. I did that. I turned the other test in. I was starting to do a Basel test for Basil Baker street. And I got a call from John Musker saying, "Hey Rick, uh, uh, yeah, so we're going to promote you to animator on uh, on Basil Vega Street." And I'm like, "Oh, r- really?" He goes, "Yeah, so you'll be getting the." And I said, "Well, I got this test I'm doing of Basil doing this stuff." He goes, "Just, just forget the test. Don't do the test. Just forget it." So um, I was like, <laughs> "That's awesome." Oh. So anyway, I got promoted. Yeah, at the beginning of of uh, the, as it turned out to be the Great Mouse Detective at the time. Yeah. Of Basil Baker Street.
1: Well, I, I have to say I I actually have a, a a a sweet spot for uh the black cauldron. Um it, it is a darker picture than right. uh most of the the classic Disney films. Right. Uh not that I'm calling the Black Cauldron a classic, but but for me, because it was my first picture, yeah, um and, and it was there was a lot of effects in it. And I oh yeah I, I had was, a ball. It was really beautiful. I mean, there's yeah. parts of it that are absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. There 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 really is some really great animation. But yes. it just doesn't hold together story-wise yeah. uh, And uh, You know I, 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 I don't know I, I, I look at it a little bit more fondly And mm-hmm. I will tell you And I've told previous guests we've had on the show that when I was up at the North side facility, remember the North side building yeah, that, yeah. Where, that we had for some time yeah. up by the Burbank airport, yeah. they had a theater there. And I remember arranging to have a screening of the black cauldron and it was standing room only. Oh, cool. Every seat in the theater was yeah. taken and people were wow. sitting along the side aisles on the steps going down to the front of the theater because so many people hadn't seen the film, and this, and I'm talking, so they, probably, so they knew I'm so talking knew late 90s, playing, yeah, I'm I'm talking. Black yeah okay. absolutely, yeah, it wasn't just a mistake, I, right. No, 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 it was a special screening of the Black yeah. Cauldron, but this is late 1990s, yeah, so you know, um, I'll tell you what, yeah. I
0: do a lot of uh appearances at conventions and stuff. And, uh, you know, not not so much lately because of COVID, but that film has an awful lot of fans. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I'm like, you know what? That's great. I mean, I, I, you know, I feel better about it than I did at the time. But it's like, you know, it has its fans and it obviously works for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, hey, that's cool. You like it. I mean, seriously, I'm 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 not. I'm proud to have worked on it. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it was, it wasn't, it was an accomplishment. It wasn't, it was a bold film for Disney to do yeah. something like that. So I do respect it for that, you know? And, and, and Joe Hale was a really good dude. I liked Joe and I liked all the guys. Yeah. You know, Joe, jo, by the way, Joe
1: Hale was one of our first guests on the, uh, uh on the skull rock podcast.
0: I saw that and yeah. Uh, that's cool. I, I ran into Joe several years ago to, at an academy event, and yeah. uh, it was just so nice to see him because I really liked him and he was yeah, such he's, a nice a terif-
1: he's a terrific guy he he's is. a really really yes. nice guy. Um, so all right, enough about fawning over the black cauldron. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I I, I do because it was it was really the first it was the first picture I got a screen credit well, on. Well,
0: and you and you were an effects animator and you were yeah. a great you were a great one and there's great work in that movie for effects. So you should yeah. definitely be proud. Yeah of it. absolutely so you you got promoted and you go on
1: to the great mouse detective uh and uh that was a fun picture i yeah. i think it got i think it got shafted on the marketing side right well you i know? think
0: i think what happened was you know as you remember that was the sort of the transition yeah. from ron miller and you know those guys to michael eisner and Jeffrey katzenberg Correct. Right. Well's yeah. coming in. And I think they were so focused on live action that they were just kind of letting us just make the mouse movie. And we, we got moved to Glendale in that warehouse. And I just think they didn't care that much. So we just kind of got to make that movie the way we wanted.
1: You know, I, I, I like to say we were thrown off the Burbank studio lot. We were well, kicked off the, we were yeah. kicked off the lot to a warehouse building in Glendale. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it wasn't like a. It was an eviction. It wasn't like it wasn't a. Hey, hey, would you guys like to move to a nondescript <laughs> building over on some or a place called Sonora Avenue or there's Flower Street? Yeah. So, you know, and we were, I mean, I'm telling you, man, we were, I was so mad. A lot of us were so incensed that we moved, got moved to this kind of dicey area and there's a bowling alley across the street <laughs> and people, people were saying, let's go bowling. I said, I'm not going to go bowling. I'm not going to get used to this place. I'm not going to embrace this. So I, for a while I wouldn't go bowling, but I went bowling with everybody else. I, I yeah.
1: like the fact that you called it an eviction. Yes. I like that. Uh, it, it was an eviction. We were evicted from the animation. Building. But
0: you know what, but you know what I tell people is, I said, you know what? We created our best movies in that in those buildings. We we, did. we really Renaissance did. Yep. Those were our buildings and what we, we embraced them after a while and yeah. it became like, Hey, we're, we're happy here. We don't want to go back on. First, we want to go back in a lot of meal. And then eventually it's like, why do we want to go back here? We got a good thing going here. So I think we embraced what we had and and just made the most of it. Yeah.
1: And, and you know something I I think, you know, Roy Disney did a letter to everybody. If you remember that. I, have, I still have and, that. Yeah. I have and, that letter still. Yeah. And he, he, he was supportive of us moving off of the main lot because he wanted us to be out of sight out of mind kind of thing because when Eisner and Wells and Katzenberg came in they didn't know you know anything about animation and their first reaction was they wanted to shut the division down if you remember and I and I yeah and I think I think it was really um smart for Roy to say hey let's move everybody over to Glendale and we'll will sort of retool things. Yeah. And and boy, was was he right because it was was the beginning of the the renaissance of animation. Yeah,
0: it was was brilliant. Thank God for him. And I think at the time, I don't think we appreciated what was happening. We didn't really know that he was instrumental in just keeping us around and, you know, him just sort of saying, look, let me sort of revamp this thing. And let we'll make it a profitable division. Let's, this is the heart and soul of Disney. Let's not throw it out. Let's not discount it. Let's, let's put some more effort into this and get some good people and some good stories and really make this into something big. And that's what happened. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you remember most about the great mouse detective?
0: Um, God, it was so fun. It was just so fun. I mean, we were, you know, that was John and Ron's first movie as directors, John Musker, Ron Clements, first movie as director. Bernie Mattinson was the producer who had, who had directed, uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. And they were just so supportive. I just felt like a bunch of kids. And we were, a lot of us, that was our very first film as animators, as, as, you know, ranked animators. And it was just this incredible time of just sort of freedom. And we got to sort of make, the kind of movie we wanted to make. And it wasn't a real big budget movie and there wasn't a lot of people. And I remember seeing a list of animators. I think there was like 15 animators. I mean, it was not a lot of, you know, considering compared to what happened later. There was just a a few of us. I think that made us tighter because there wasn't that many of us. And I think we sort of banded together and we had no place else to go. There was no cafeteria you know there was no we were on not on the lot anymore we were just together so i think it created a real bond yeah and i think it was a really good start to a new sort of a new era you know yeah
1: i I mean i think people should should realize that when the black cauldron concluded uh there was a massive layoff Yes uh, from Huge. the animation department Huge. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember the the effects department had 28 artists in it uh, and when they were done there were only 12 of us left. Wow. Uh, so two thirds of the department mm-hmm. got laid off uh, and, you know, almost two thirds of the department. And, yeah. and so it was similar in other departments. So yeah. we we shrank down significantly when we went yeah. over to Glendale and started yeah. working on the great mass detective.
0: Absolutely. I was, it was kind of a, that was kind of a scary time because we we're all kind of wondering who's, who's next you know, because of the layoffs, you know? Yeah. But I was, I was lucky because I had just been promoted. So I, I was pretty secure in that. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be one of them because they just promoted me. So I think I just got lucky, you know,
1: I don't know. I I I have I, I felt like uh, I thought the black cauldron was going to be my first and last picture, uh, and I just decided I was going to work really hard, yeah. do as much as uh, overtime as I could, yeah, yeah. Cash as much money into the bank as possible. And when when I finally got kicked out of the studio, I would head back to New York and do commercials. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You, you and, had a plan. You had a plan. Yeah, I had a plan. So I was kind of like happy-go-lucky, you know, like okay, yeah. you know. And then when I didn't get late. Off, I was like, "What?" <laughs> You're like, "Are you sure?" Are you I gotta, sure? I gotta revamp my plan here. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. but uh, so you did, you did Basil and Dawson and Toby, Toby, yeah. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize this with Great Mouse Detective, but when the film was in production, there wasn't a lot of Toby scenes. And Toby is the big dog. Yeah. Um, Big puppy. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, when they did a test screening of Great Mouse Detective, the the audience really reacted to Toby the dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was new to it, was like, "Let's put in more Toby scenes." Yeah. Right. Not really understanding what was entailed in doing that. Yeah, there's,
0: there's, all, there's story considerations, but that kind of didn't matter. We're going to have the puppy and this a lot more. Yeah.
1: And so there was a lot of Toby scenes animated sort of at the 11th hour leading into yeah. the completion of the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: It was fun. I mean, I liked, I mostly did Toby. I mean, I wasn't cast on any particular character, but I really enjoyed working on him. I did a scene, one scene I remember in particular, he was, on the street kind of sniffing around and then he stops for no reason and looks at the camera for a beat and then goes back to sniffing. I just thought it was funny to do that. So John Musker looked at it, he goes, Oh, you've got to break in the fourth wall. And I said, what? He goes, you better, you've got to tell me breaking the fourth wall. And I said, what does that mean? What is, he goes, it's, it's when the character looks at the camera and he says, you never do that in features. I said, Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. He's he no, but we're, we're going to leave it in because it's funny. So, yeah, <laughs> so I didn't have no idea there was rules, you know. But he said, "Yeah, you never do that." But anyway, he says it's funny. So we're going to leave it in. And So and John was like that. John was so receptive, and they both were actually to just funny ideas. If you had an idea, you could always, no matter where you, what department you worked in, if you had a, a, an idea for a either a funnier gag or a, a, a good story point, they were all ears, and they they you know they encouraged that and. So that was that was great, really great. Now, I'm imagining because you did Toby
1: on The Great Mouse Detective that you were a natural to be cast doing Roscoe and DeSoto, the two Doberman Pinschers in Oliver and Company. Am I right?
0: Well, I actually was... It actually was cast doing Einstein, the the Great Dane, who was okay. really a stupid, you know, a goofy character. Right. So that's really mostly what I did was Einstein. Oh, okay. And then I did I did the 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 Great Danes a little bit later. Um but you were the dog guy. Well, the whole movie was dogs, but, but yeah, I, I was, I was the dumb dog guy. Like I did the, I would do the dumb things, the crate, you know, um, but I did Einstein. That was my main, mostly what I did, but I did do some of the, the great, uh, the, uh, Bill Doberman, Doberman, yeah, really Doberman Ventures. Yeah. And you're fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that was, that was an interesting film, uh, yeah. uh, because that's really when, uh, you know, they did some CG on great mouse detective and very little on black cauldron, but, uh, Oliver and company started doing more. Yeah. All and, the and, and streets you know, and the cars and, and the vehicles. Yeah, yeah. All the vehicles and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so uh, I, I'm gonna be, because we could be here for like three hours. I'm gonna skip through some of the films, but you, you from Oliver and Company, you worked on Little Mermaid. You did Scuttle.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a that was a big thing. Little Little Mermaid is a was a huge thing to me because right from the very beginning, I mean, I would I would get cast. As it turned out, I ended up getting cast in all the sidekick characters. As I like to do, funny. Animation. So when I read the script for uh, Little Mermaid, I saw Scuttle. I'm like, oh god, I really want to do this character. So I went to John and said, hey, I really want to do. Uh, I'd love to do Scuttle. You know, some Scuttle stuff. And John's like, yeah, we're we're kind of thinking to do that. We're just sort of thinking you. Be good for
1: that, so <laughs> I got I, you know, I get kind of lucky that I get. I'm liking lucky. your John Musker impersonations because well, he is of, sort of I like uh, low key, uh, so. uh, cool you
0: just sit guy, in his chair yeah. yeah, really low. And uh, let again, let's get again, All right, let's see it again, uh, uh-huh. right, you'd be explaining what scene was he go uh-huh, uh-huh yeah right let's see it again um anyway so he anyway i got lucky and got to do uh scuttle and dave stefan was the lead on on scuttle so it was dave stefan and i and, and phil young did a bunch of scuttle stuff but i uh I, it was it was a thrilling thing to be to work on that movie because right from the very beginning i knew we all knew this was going to be something special because howard ashman had been signed to do these, you know, uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. To yeah, yeah. Songs for And it was just, I mean, the ver- I remember a very early screening of, of Little Mermaid. It was just animatic at this point. No animation had been done. And I walked out of the, the, you know, the, our theater and just was going back to my desk and just thinking, this is exactly why I wanted to be an animator. Yeah, choked up talking about it, but it's like this movie is that this is what this is what I wanted to be a part of something like this, you know. So that was huge, and I got to do a lot of I did the you know the Dinglehopper with the fork and the hair and that stuff, and it was just it was just a blast. It was just so fun doing that character and Buddy Hackett, and he did such a great job with the voice and. It was, it was like a dream, literally a dream come true to do that.
1: You know, and, and when I look at these films, you know, because I, I, it's like, you know, from Mermaid, you did Wilbur on Rescuers Down Under. You mm-hmm. did LeFou in Beauty and the Beast. You did Abu in Aladdin. And I'm, I'm just sitting there looking at the, that group of films. Mm-hmm. And, and and like, I, I kind of feel like there was a certain amount of magic happening. And and I, and I don't use that word lightly or flip flippantly, you know, there was a certain amount of magic that was happening during that period of time because we were in a warehouse building. It was a small crew. It was, you know, there, uh, there wasn't like, you know, relentless meetings all through the day. People were, uh, you know, people would run into one another in the hallway and say, Hey, you know, I'm working on da, 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 da. What do you think of this? And you'd get this like, three minute little discussion and it'd be like, yeah, okay, let's go try that. And you yeah. you, know, you go off and do it.
0: Yeah. Um, do, you, do you look back at that period of time uh, with some fondness? I, I do because it just felt like it was, it was, a, it, I mean, magic is, is the best, so to put it, cause it was magical. And I think the fact we were all on one floor, you know, back in the animation building, we had three floors, you know, yeah, people yeah. were spread out in different hallways. I was in D wing. There's people in a wing. I never saw, you know, there's, yeah. you know, I was in the remote call was, I was in his wing and Frank and Ollie at the end of the hallway. Um, but so I think in being in the warehouse, you know, those buildings, one floor, and we were, it was just easy to see everybody. You know, you could sure. grab somebody he said, come here, look at this scene. What do you think of this? You could just grab, I could I'd grab Dave Proxmer or Will Finn or anybody and just say, what do you think of this scene I just did? And they're like, well, you know, and they give me their opinion, and I'm like, I shouldn't have said anything. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, I have to redo it, but um, but but, it, but
1: there was more it was easier collaboration going on yeah
0: that's the, that's the thing i think that was the key was yeah it was easier to collaborate and, and everybody got involved and i tell people i don't want this is going to sound kind of weird but it was kind of like not that we're as great as the beatles or anything but it's kind of like the beatles of we were the, our animation those years were like sort of the beatles where you just these four guys came together just the right time yeah and it just it was like fate and it, those four guys worked better than any four guys, you know? And yeah. I think we were all put together at a particular time in, in, you know, a particular time in space, a time in animation history, and we were able to do what we did. And I think it was just one of those, it's one of those weird, uh, uh I don't know how, how to put it on uh, just this sort of a magical twist of fate that we were all put together and we all grew, you know, we started on, Some of us started on Black Cauldron, some of us on Great Mouse Detective, but just kind of grew as artists and filmmakers and entertainers and all that. And I think it just, you know, we, the fact that we just kept getting better and better, you can look at the films and you see the quality of animation going up and up and up and up. Sure. And by the time, for me, by the time we did Aladdin, I mean, I saw it, you know, maybe five or six or seven years ago, there was a thing at at the El Capitan where they, you know, they do like anniversary screenings and stuff. And I hadn't seen it in a really long time. And I'm like, man, after it was over, I was like, man, we really knew what we were doing. I mean, everything, the animation is so, it's just perfection. And Robin Williams and all the performances are incredible. The animation's great. The story's great. The music is incredible. Everything just worked. So to me, that was the film that where I just felt like, man, we really knew what we were doing by that time, you know? Sure. I, I, I
1: agree with you on that. Uh, I, I, and I'm looking at, at your screen credits and, and I, and I see that you went from Aladdin to Swan princess mm-hmm. and then to Prince of Egypt. So you left, la- did you leave after Aladdin? Did I leave? did. My con-
0: you know, my contract was up basically, was what the deal was my contract was up and you know, there was no, uh, there was no like uh, clamoring to renew it, so I you, you went off and you I did went off smart. And worked on this, one and, and Rick Rich, you know, who was, in, there's yeah. a lot of ex Disney people on, sure, there. sure, Steve Gordon and, and yeah, like I said, Rick Rich was was there, and um, and they just they want me they wanted me because I had done two or three birds, you know, I did Scuttle, I did Will, right. uh, and they said we well, have this puffin character we'd like you to do, and you're 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 going to be the lead animator on it. And you know the design yeah. So was, I mean, you,
1: be, you became a supervising animator on that. Uh, on that picture, and then you went over and at this point, uh, Jeffrey had left Disney and set up DreamWorks, right? So Where you worked on Prince of Egypt as a supervising right. animator, right? Uh, and then you went and did Iron Giant.
0: Well, what happened was Iron Giant came. The thing I did about Iron Giant was I didn't work on the original Iron Giant. I worked on. The ex what's it called the signature oh the signature edition okay when they added three new sequences it was with Ken Duncan Studio okay I worked on that part that version of I got Iron Giant but when I was when I was at Swarm Princess I was you know I had I I think that's some of my very best work was on that Puffin character and people were sort of recognizing it and um, John and Ron said hey we're gonna do uh, uh, Hercules, do you want to come back and we'll give you a character? And, you know, do you want to come back and work on that? And I was very excited to go, to go back to Disney. And then Jeffrey call, called me out of the blue and said, hey, uh, he saw <laughs> Swan Princess and said, hey, I like your, what you did. Do you want to come over? And we're starting this studio called DreamWorks. Do you want to come over and take a look at what we're doing and, and maybe come here? And I, at the time, there were, I heard rumors about doing the 10 commandments is what it was called at the time. Right. And I'm like, gee, I don't know if I want to go work on a Bible movie. I can go work on this comedy back at Disney, you know? So I went and talked to Jeffrey and by it, there was like six, seven people in the whole studio at that point, there was nobody right. there, and he completely, I don't know if he hypnotized me or what, but he, Told me, look, if you come here, you can, be a, <laughs> you can be a supervising animator. You can do story. You can do character design. You can be a mentor to some of the younger animators. He just listed up all this stuff. He's very thought, persuasive. He, very persuasive. You know that, as you know. Well, I got a phone call from him too at home
1: uh-huh. uh, during that oh, yeah, time he was, period. He, we, he, he was he calling. Wanted, a, he was calling everybody. Yeah, you know? when
0: he wanted something. He did. He didn't mess around. And I, I and I just thought, gosh. Jeffrey wants me and this is a Steven Spielberg studio and J- David Geffen. And I'm like, this could be really great to, to start at the bottom floor of this brand new studio. Even though I love Disney and I was l- looking forward to working on, on John Aron's movie, I thought this this is an opportunity that's been presented to me. And I think I need to take it. I need to follow through and just see where it goes. And maybe it, it won't work out, but I just think the opportunity... Well, just, you you, just you really did, did stay it. there for a little while. I mean, I was you, there for five you were, years. Yeah, I was you did. Ro- Road to El
1: Dorado, and you worked on yeah. Shrek. You, yeah. I, in fact, you did story. You were a story artist. I track.
0: did. It was funny the way that happened. I did. I did the camel and the Prince of Egypt, and then I started working on um, Road to El Dorado. And Road to El Dorado had a lot of story issues, and so. I would write pages and pages and pages of ideas, and submit them to Jeffrey. He, I'd be used. They used me as like doing comedy passes on films, you know. Sure. Just coming up with gags on that film and other films. But anyway, I had all these ideas, and Jeffrey's like, are "You, I really love your ideas." And he said, "You need to get into story." And I said, "Well, I don't really want to give up animating. I love animating." And and he just kept saying, "You need to get into story." Eventually, he kind of made it like, "You are getting into story. You're, you know, you're." You're we don't you you, we don't need you to animate anymore. We 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 think you're more valuable coming up with story ideas. So I so kind of near the end of El Dorado, I jumped onto Shrek and and did did this storyboard things, storyboard ideas and gags and stuff. So I started doing story. You know, I became a story person for a little while on that. So what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy
1: most? Uh, oh, animating. Uh, uh, you, animating. you like animating hands down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. A story it's, it's, a story's fun. Story's fun. And storyboards are, are, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're cool. I mean, you can do them. I mean, yeah, I, I know you them. can do it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just, but I just get more uh, satisfaction. It's, and it's more artistic gratification from actually animating. My, I think it just sort of feeds my soul to be able to, take a, a piece of paper at the time, a piece of paper, now it's a, a Cintiq, but, you know, and just a pencil and just come up with some, you know,
1: well, because you're an actor, you're, you're, you're well, an actor, you're an actor putting it into uh, yeah. a a character on paper.
0: Yeah. And, right. And being able to come up with, because I had sidekicks, they were only in the movies for one reason for, to be funny. They weren't that important to the story. They yeah. were mostly there to, to be funny. You know, they, they had a role in the movie, but so to me, it's just like, well, I'm just going to come up and try to come up with funny ideas. If there's something in the script that I like, that maybe there's a, a more of a, a funnier way to do it, I would suggest that to whoever the directors were. Say, I have another idea for this this shot. Uh, what do you think of this? And they, oh yeah, that's 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 even better. Let's do that. So I had the opportunity to do that as as an animator doing these all these sidekick characters, you know. And I there's all I can tell you stories about. How certain gags came to be. But um, that's what I love doing is just getting, having a character and then trying to come up with things for him to do, you know, sure, ways sure. to make him funny and that kind yeah, of stuff. You know,
1: because every step of the animation process, you're enhancing and making better. that. I mean, that's what it was always moment. about. Yeah. We
0: you know, we have these lectures, as you know, from Frank yeah. and Ollie and Ward sure. and Mark and uh, Eric, you know, they would say, plus what you're given, the idea of Disney animation, you guys have a big responsibility and when you're given something, you're, uh, your goal is to improve it, make it better. Yeah. And there was times when I'd animate something and, and John or Ron or whoever the directors were would be like, you know, this was funnier in when it was a board and it's not as funny animated. So w- find what was funny about that expression or whatever yeah. and put that in. And so, yeah, man, it's not it's supposed to be better now, not less. So right, I, right. sometimes I'd have to go through and redo mm-hmm. it and like, okay, now it's, Taking a step up, you know, so it's just a good thing to keep in mind. Like you want to make it better. Every step should get better and better and better. So
1: let me ask you, uh, you know, you got into the business nearly 40 years ago. Uh, and uh, I just say that 40 years I, ago. I know I did have to say how about just over 20.
0: <laughs> how about over 25 years ago?
1: You know, you, you got into the business many decades ago. Uh, and uh, and, and I guess the question I'm asking is, uh, how do you see the industry today? It's, it's night and day, obviously, it's, mm-hmm. it's a huge difference. Do you see right. more opportunities for people getting? getting into the business today than when we first got into the business. Cause when we first got into business, it was in a, a deep, a deep trough. Yeah. Yeah. Valley, well, it you was,
0: know? you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was back then. It was a kind of a boutique industry. It was like kind of a cult thing where there's only a handful of people that really wanted to do it. The films were successful. Um, but I think the, the amount of people who wanted to do that, was a lot smaller. It was kind of a cultish group of people. But you know, I think because of a movie like Little Mermaid or Who Framed Roger Rabbit, things like that, that were these mega hits. Yeah. They sort of opened the world up to possibilities of, of this can, this is, a, it's a profession. You can do this too. So I think a lot of people who grew up on those movies and I hear this from people that are in the business now, they're like, I grew up on little mermaid and beauty and the Beast. I, those are oh my God. When I was six and seven years old, those movies, I watched them all the time, you know, VHS and DVD and stuff like that. So I think, uh, it certainly grew from that. And I think because of that, there's a lot more opportunities. Now when we got in, there was like Disney, Bluth and Ralph Bakshi. And that was pretty uh, much. Uh, that, that was For on features. the feature side. For and features. then on TV,
1: you had Hanna-Barbera, Hanna Barbera, Filmation, Ruby Spears, Spears, and that was about that it, right? right? I mean, there wasn't yeah. a lot of our, yeah.
0: and now they're, oh my God, it's literally all over the world. There's, yeah, you know, there's opportunities all over the world.
1: And, uh, and not just in TV or feature films, but in gaming yeah. and, uh, sh- you know, streaming and yeah. uh, all kinds of uh, uh, digital distribution channels and, yes. and and just, you know, different levels of gaming and, mm-hmm. you know, commercials and there's just yeah. so much going on, it seems like.
0: Yep. It's, yeah, it's, it's really changed and it's gotten huge. Um, you know, it's like, it's it's great in one way it's great in the way that there's more opportunities, but because there's so much, the, sometimes the quality isn't where it should be. You know, it's like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, yeah, how can this be? People are, this, look at these drawings. And to me at yeah. all, I'm like, these drawings are so bad, but it's like, you know what? Uh, it's just part of it. There's always going to be, you know, the, the best stuff's going to rise to the top, you know, and then, sure. then the, the other stuff, but you know, the good news is there's a lot more, Opportunities. There's, like I said, worldwide opportunities now, um, because because of technology too. You know, the fact that we can all work at home, we can do. We don't have to go into a studio anymore. I mean, I want to be in a studio. I think we all do, or most of us. But we can work at home. We have all. Yeah. You know, we have all the the tools here to, to create stuff here. You know?
1: Well, the I mean, the animation industry is one of one of the industries that did exceedingly well during this two year pandemic. Yes. Uh, I mean, people were just they they just shifted gears and they all worked yeah. from their home studios. Yeah,
0: and we all uh, we all have computers. Everybody yeah. has a computer, and most people have Cintiqs, and most people have the software. You know, and it's like, okay. I mean, I, I remember when we were, I was, I was at Disney. I was, I had just, I just finished working on uh, DuckTales. I don't know if we can get, get to that later, but I went back to Disney to work on animate on DuckTales. But anyway, that had just finished and I was working on another project, an uh, uh, interactive game thing with, with the DuckTales characters. And we had, I was on a Thursday. They said, okay, everybody has to go home, like right now. So we all just left. And then they transferred the, our our work computers to our home computers. And I have no idea how the tech guys did that, but they did. And so we had all our studio stuff at home now.
1: Yeah, now that We yeah. had the
0: opportunity to load stuff into the studio database, you know, but I mean, that, that kind of stuff is crazy. It's like amazing, but that can happen. And that's wow. why we're able to continue to work. Listen, it just
1: goes to show you the internet is no longer a fad. You know, yeah, (laughs) right. But hey, um, what are you doing now? Are you still animating? Are you still doing story? Are you teaching? I mean, I'm just curious. What What have you been up to in the last few years?
0: Well, I. I was doing a lot of freelance. I worked for, you know, if you look at my credits, you see all the different studios I worked for, but I was starting to teach. I was teaching a class at um, Laguna College of Art and Design. Okay. And Disney called me and said, we're doing, we want you to come and do animation for DuckTales. And this is the beginning of the second season. And I was like, Oh man, I'd love to, you know? Uh, So I, you know, I had finished my teaching gig and I, went back to disney i worked over in sonora okay in in the tv building and started. i was animating and i uh i mean thank god for uh matt youngberg and susanna olson they were the ones that you know that got me in there and i said to matt i said well now do you want me to do they said we just want you to animate we want you to do retakes and and and, you know production animation and stuff i said you want me to sort of like limited, like you want me to like TV kind of like, no, he says, no, I want you to do the stuff you did features. We hired you because we like your feature animation stuff and your funny stuff. And we want you to do just that kind of stuff, full animation. And I was like, you get this is like Christmas, you know? So I was there for almost two years. Um, So, you know, unfortunately the show ended eventually. And, but I, boy, it was so wonderful to be back at Disney and be part of the family again, even though it was in the TV division, but they just let me do what I do. And I'm like this, I wish this would just go on forever, you know? So anyway, I did that and then that ended. And then, you know, like I said, the pandemic hit, we all went home and I just did other stuff. I worked on um, Henry Selick's movie, Wendell and wild. They did facial animation for the puppets Came yeah. up with, you know, that kind of stuff. And I did that for uh, off and on for a couple of years. Um, and then more recently, I was working a little bit on a peanut special. I worked on. A uh, is that song. the is that the was that the New Year special? Uh, that was No, that it's
1: record? it's it's after that. Um, oh, it's the I Mother's Day. There. It's the Mother's Day special.
0: The one I, the one I worked on was, it's a school one. I
1: okay. The name of it. But they're being done up in Toronto. Um, is, Toronto a, is, is a wild, wild, wild brain? brain. Yeah. And wild brain. They
0: look beautiful. They are yeah. absolutely beautiful. Um, so I was doing that. And then I worked on this incredible short called the brave locomotive that Andrew Chesworth, who's a brilliant artist and animator directed. And it is a throwback to mid forties Disney. It is wow. absolutely stunning, and when you when this comes out, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, it looks like you know uh, uh, Ichabod and, and Mr. Toad." It, it's that style, wow, it, that kind of quality, and it's like that's two D animation. What, what's, what's the cool title? What's the title? It's called the Brave Locomotive. Okay, it's similar to uh, a short called uh, the Brave Engineer. Okay. Uh, which is also a train thing. A train yeah, yeah. Subject. But it's beautiful. It's got hand-drawn stuff as well as CG. The, the train is CG. Yeah. I'm telling you, when you see it, it's going to you're going to go nuts, and I was really happy to be a part of that. You know, and that's you're going to see some incredible 2D animation in that.
1: Um, you you but, know something, I, I I think there's there's a bit of a resurgence happening with 2D on a bigger yeah. scale. Um, you know, we we had Alice Dewey on um, yeah. a week or two ago, yeah. and uh, you know she she mentioned that they're mounting a 2D feature. Yes, uh, she, she, she wasn't giving me any any information yeah. other than that. And I yeah. thought, wow, that's fantastic.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think, yeah, Genndy, uh Tartakovsky's directing that. I, I only know that it's 2D. I don't, I, I'm kind of... Yeah, I don't, don't think, think I do.
1: Yeah, nobody knows what it's about. It's We all just know it's, it's a 2D. It's Johnny, it's Johnny Bravo. I've actually,
0: I've actually talked to Alice a little bit about it. But yeah, there's just a lot of stuff. I mean, Genndy did this thing called um, Primal, That was on. um, I I, I don't know if it's Netflix or I can't remember what the streaming thing uh, platform is, but it's incredible to the animation. Also, so there's a lot of stuff happening right now that's you're like, wow, it's very exciting. Clouds a couple years ago. You sure. Know, the, the, beautiful, the, the Sergio, beautiful Sergio picture. Yeah, yeah. Is it it just, yeah. It's brilliant. It's looks incredible. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm working on as much stuff as I can. You know I mean? I'm trying, there's projects offered to me. There's yeah. stuff that I go to, like, I want to work on that and all right will write so-and-so. Yeah. There's this Cuphead series. In this uh, yeah.
1: You know uh, the the Cuphead series has gotten a lot of really uh, great uh, uh, notices, yeah. uh, and uh, it's it's got that 1930s sort of style animation yes. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, with the you know, the white gloves and all of that. Yeah, uh, it, it looks really fun. I haven't had yeah. a chance to watch any of the episodes, but I'm yeah, I've cool. got it on my cool. list of things to watch. Uh, so you are busy. No, you're not um, retiring. Anytime soon, are you?
0: No, unless I, you know, somebody, you know, does something to me that I, you know, I don't know. I mean, let's it fall <laughs> down the stairs or fall off a bridge or, or go down? I don't, I don't ski anymore much, so I don't think I'm going to uh, end it that way. But you know, and until unless something happens, I just want to keep doing it. Um, there's just a lot of, and I'm, and I'm teaching again too. You mentioned teaching I'm yeah. back, teaching an animation class via Zoom, so I don't, yeah. I don't have to I don't have to drive to Laguna right now but I'm teaching an animation class uh, right now too. So I'm, doing a lot of stuff, you know, and just, and, you know, obviously wanting to do more, it's just, yeah. know, there's only so much time, but uh yeah. I think it's
1: fantastic. I, I, you know, it's, always, it's always great uh, uh to have friends come on our podcast here and, mm-hmm. uh, and talk a little bit about not only their experience, but also what's going on here yeah. and now today.
0: And the other, the other thing I just want to mention real quickly is my, my, my wife and I, Chris, my wife, Christy and I, have done this, uh, created this thing called full moon cartoons, which is a single panel cartoon strip. It's, it's, uh, you can find it on Facebook or, uh, Instagram. And it's us as cartoon characters living in a town called full moon Springs, which is all monsters. Like we're (laughs) the only normal people because we couldn't afford to live in LA. So we had to move to, to full moon Springs. So it's just us normal people with all these monsters. And it's, you know, we're trying to get along with the, you know, try to fit in and stuff. But we, we haven't done a new cartoon. For, I used to do them every single week, but it's I've been so busy lately. But that's just a side project that we, you know, kind of came up with that's that we're also doing. And she's she's an artist and a writer, and so uh we make a great team. We we've come up with this with this concept and these these cartoons that are you can go and find them. And there's a it's quite we have 120 something. Uh, cartoons right and, now, and we can check it out on facebook it's it on facebook it's called full moon cartoons full moon cartoons, full moon on, cartoons. Facebook. on facebook okay and there's also um i think it's called full moon cartoons official on uh instagram, instagram. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, we'll, okay we'll put the links into the show notes for that uh, oh, cool, without man. question well i gotta tell you uh this has been a fun fun show. And I'm so yeah. glad Rick, that you had a, an opportunity to come on and talk with us on the Skull Rock podcast.
0: It, uh, was, it was a real honor. I wish it would have lasted longer. We could have gone for another hour. Uh,
1: I think we could have, you know, I say this to all our guests, we could have gone for two, three hours with all the stories that we could tell oh, yeah, and what oh, you yeah. could talk about and drill into on these individual projects. And, oh, yeah. uh, and what I say to all of our guests, we're going to have you back.
0: I would love to come back and, and tell and you a story. story just tell you a funny story. And, and,
1: and I think, because I, I believe this year is the 30th anniversary of Aladdin, uh, if I'm not oh mistaken. Oh, it and, is, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so I think maybe we'll have you back later in the year and we'll just focus the entire show just oh. on your experience working on Aladdin. I can,
0: we could we fill it. We could fill it. There's a lot, of, a lot I could talk about for that film.
1: Well, we're looking forward to having you back. Thanks for being on the show.
0: My pleasure. Both you guys do a great job. Thank you. Skull Rock Podcast. New infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney Galaxy.
2: Whoa. Oh, wow. You flew magnificently. <laughs> Another great, great interview with Rick. Um, and once again, we just scratched the surface.
1: <laughs> you know he he's he's really a terrific guy, very talented animator, and uh, you know he's he's a bon vivant, bon vivant uh, around the business. You know what I mean? He's right. a, he's like uh, I, I I joke with him occasionally. You know he's like the rock and roller of the animation industry. I love it, and uh, and I I love running into him because I usually see him at screenings and events because you know he's very much into the. The industry uh, as anyone who's in it should be. Yes. So uh, it was great great having Rick on the show and chatting with him. It seems to
2: me like he's been the go-to guy for like squishy sidekick characters that just inject so much humor and personality into a film. Yeah. Um, and you can tell a little bit of that is in Rick as well as he, as you always say Dave uh, those artists are also actors so there's so much of, of are, their personality they are and,
1: and and you know something he's he's done some incredible uh uh characters in in all of these films and uh as i've said before i wish uh some of these companies would take those uh secondary characters and do more with them
2: mhm absolutely absolutely i can totally see that Oop. <laughs>
1: oops what are you over there hitting hitting buttons randomly exactly that's that's what
2: i do dave that's what i do when i'm not just hitting buttons randomly i'm also known to close the show at least try to close it if you're into disney pop culture for sticking around to the very end we do appreciate it don't forget subscribe to the show And let us know what you dig about it. Give us that feedback through all the social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on every one of your social, um, your favorite podcast platforms, if you will, including iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, you name it, we're there. And be sure to follow us there um, and email us. Uh, at Dave at Podcast dot com or Al John at skullrockpodcast.com dot com, and over the past couple weeks, we also want you to support Dave's Indiegogo campaign for his new book, The House of the Future. So please check out that link in our show notes. Dave, the campaign is going wonderfully.
1: Oh, it's absolutely fantastic, and I appreciate everybody jumping on to uh, pre-order their copy of The House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision of Tomorrow. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: yep. And, uh, and and once again, and thank you for all the great emails. We do appreciate that, Dave, and uh, I always love catching up with you every single week and our great guests that do the show, um, but I'll have you say us out.
1: Well, thank you, Al, John, and peace and love to everybody as always. uh, We're jumping our clocks ahead, or by the time you listen to this, we will have jumped our clock uh, ahead an hour. Into the future. Uh, And it's the the most wonderful time of year for me because the days get longer and it starts getting warmer, and I'm looking forward to it. So until uh, next week, uh, I hope you guys all have a safe and wonderful week. Uh, and we will see you back here next Monday, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast.
2: I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves.
3: Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over 100 times, so they've got that knowledge at their hand, as well as it saves them time and money.
2: Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney?
3: They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan.
2: I'm Al John Goh. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast.
3: Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel. Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more.
2: That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.